Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Today we talk about the wall. No, not that wall. I'm referring to the Thomas Jefferson wall of separation between church and state. Is that a new concept, or do we find that Jesus himself advocated that government and religion be kept at arm's length from each other? Here to help us examine this important topic is Michael Peabody, an employment law attorney practicing in Los Angeles, California. Michael is also the editor of Religious Liberty TV, a dynamic website dedicated to celebrating religious freedom. He's a frequent guest on this program. Michael, welcome back to LifeQuest Liberty. Thank you. It's good to be back. Okay, first, some groundwork. Why is it so important to keep church and state separate? Don't we need each other to survive? Well, church and state have very different functions. In the old days, of course, in the Middle Ages, you had church and state being one thing, and so if you have a religious dispute, you may end up being punished by the civil authorities for it. And what happens is the state and the church have a difficult time both reconciling that topic, because the church, and when you look at religion, you look at the Bible, you see that there's forgiveness if you commit sin, there's restoration, and there's a pathway back to the Father, to God. In the civil law, if you confess your sin, you will be more likely than not found guilty of that sin and, and punished for it. But in the Bible, Jesus says, you know, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So there's a very different approach to how church and state handle the law, yet both are very important. So what happens when church and state combine? Can you give us an example of maybe the the plus side and the minus side of this kind of marriage? Well, I guess on the positive side, some people may say, well, it'd be good to have the government recognize and abide by the laws of God. Of course, if they were to do so, then those people living in that culture who don't prescribe to that religion or don't see the law of God the same may be hit with a civil penalty for failing to abide by what the government feels is the correct interpretation of the law of God. Uh, and it misrepresents God in, in many ways because the state is unable to fulfill the same function that God could fulfill, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I can see right away that there would be a major stumbling block there, like you say, because not everyone believes in the same religion. Not everyone is a member of the same church. And to apply one church's standards to another church body or a person who has no church body would cause problems. Am I on the right track? I think so. And, and the idea that you can have a different religion from me and live next door to me is a relatively new concept as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before the Reformation, you were pretty much guaranteed that you'd have to at least look like you believe the same thing if you want to live peacefully in the society together. And after the Reformation, or after Martin Luther, even then, they had the Protestant communities and they had the Catholic communities, and whichever community you, you moved to, you'd have to obey their religious laws. Mm-hmm, so right. religion and religious diversity were a function of geography rather than of a heartfelt individual decision. Okay, let's travel back in time now to a time when Jesus walked these paths. 
Set this up for us, Michael. What was the world like as far as church and state were concerned in the time of Jesus? It's a very interesting time period because in the days of Jesus, you know, you obviously had the Romans who had invaded Jerusalem and invaded Israel. And the Romans had their own religion and their own gods and religious system, and the Jews had their own system. And so the Romans, by and large, tended to respect the Jewish system because they recognized that if they wanted to be able to control the area, they needed to respect their religion so people weren't constantly rebelling. The best way to protect their own interests would be to make sure that the people at least had some semblance of the ability to keep their own religious beliefs. So the religious authorities during that time had a lot of authority over the daily lives of the people. You see that when the woman was accused of adultery, some of the religious leaders and and people in the area brought this woman to Jesus and said, hey, you know, what are you going to do about her? She has committed adultery. And you have the story there where Jesus began writing in the sand and the the people began to filter away. But the Romans really kind of left the local people alone when it came to how they practiced their own faith. And it seems like every region in, in Rome had its own religious beliefs. So... If you went to another place where you had, you know, Ephesus, you had Diana of the Ephesians. That was their religion over there, and the Romans sort of left that alone as well. So the civil authorities and the religious authorities still had their own spheres of influence, but the religious authorities would also have the ability to try to find ways to get the civil authorities to enforce the religious laws. There you go. There you go. And that seems to be happening now, because as we talk about Christ's response to the world at that time, we can sort of overlay today with that. So here, here comes Christ. He, he, he says, okay, it's, it's time for me now to reveal the truth about God's character. It's time for me now to, to bring religion into the fold and religious people into the fold. How did he do that? When he entered Jerusalem to begin his ministry— what was his goal? Was he supposed to find ways of of bringing the law in line with what he wanted the people to do, or was he trying to find a way to get the church to fall in line with what he wanted to do? What happened next? Well, he sort of spent his time with the people. Mm. Mm. And when he spent time with the people, the religious authorities paid attention to him. The Roman authorities sort of left him alone. Mm. And in fact, in order to try to get him executed, the Religious authorities had to say that Jesus was breaking the civil law by declaring himself a king. So Jesus really spent his time trying to influence the people and showing them what God was like. You don't see a lot of times where he was actually engaged in intense theological debate with the with the religious rulers. I mean, sometimes they came and asked him questions, and he would answer them. But he really went directly to the people, which was a shock to the system of the mm-hmm. religious authorities, because what kind of control could they have if if they were being bypassed completely. Okay, he went to the people. Looking at today now, looking at the situation now, we have we have Christians in this country right now who are wanting, and bless their hearts, we all should want this as Christians, who are wanting to spread the good news of the gospel. We want to let people know the character of God. We want people to know that God loves them and forgives them and all the things you mentioned there at the beginning of the program that religion brings into the, into the fold. How should we do this? It seems that there is a faction in this country who are now trying to get ways of making inroads into the civil authority to basically legislate what they want to have happen. Is that a good idea? Well, I don't think it would 
be what Jesus did during his life. You know, you don't see Jesus going to the civil authorities and saying, look, you know, you need to make these people obey the laws of God. You need to enforce the Sabbath. You need to enforce the all kinds of various laws. You know, and you need to go after the Samaritans because they worship differently and this whole thing. You, you don't see Jesus doing that. What you see happening is he's using the power of love, the power of persuasion to bring people over to his beliefs. Had Jesus decided to use the power of the state in order to convince people, and the state, of course, is limited in what it can do. Right. They right. can say, hey, I'm going to throw you in jail or punish you or fine you if you don't follow the proper religious beliefs, but they cannot influence the heart. That's something that's done primarily through the Church and through individuals and the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. So what you see is you see a very direct grassroots approach as opposed to using the existing legal and, I guess, physical government infrastructure. It seems like instead of a uh, legislating belief, legislating religion, you want to demonstrate it. You want to show it. You want to affect that, that heart. And I like that because Jesus said that he wants to live in our hearts. And if going through legislation, going through government, the civil powers, that's not going to be heart-changing. I think you made that very clear. That's not going to change hearts. It's only when we demonstrate it and, and share it from our heart to someone else's is when it happens. Okay, what should we do then? We have a government right now that doesn't seem to be trying to bring about change in this world through the heart. They're trying to do it through legislation or through whatever means they're doing it. How should we as Christians respond to what's going on in the world right now? If you want to change society, you have to work with the heart. It's the only way it can happen. There's an old saying, and I'm trying to remember who said it. You know, the person who is persuaded against his will is of the same persuasion still. Yes, yes. You know, if I, if I tell you, hey, you need to agree with me, or I'm going to hit you in the head with a bat. Mm-hmm. And so you say, oh, yes, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> you know, then I, I go away, and I'm like, hey, I converted Charles. <laughs> but are you going to be re- really be persuaded that what I told you was a true thing, or are you going to say, man, I'm glad he's gone? Only when you're in sight and have the bat with you will I be persuaded, yes. So there's a huge function that, you know, churches and, and individuals can fulfill. And I really think it relies even on individuals and to a lot of extent, because churches can only do so much, but it's people who go out in the community, interact with people, get to know people, and are able to sort of demonstrate through their own lives what they believe. Mm, and wow. that's not something you necessarily hear from somebody talking about in church, but something you see in front of you, and then you may say, hey, you know, I want to find out more about what that person believes so I can, you know, have that, that type of life as well. Huh. Huge responsibility, though. You know, one of the things I often see, I see people driving around there with these fish on their cars. Yes. I say they're a Christian, you know? Yeah. And I also thought, you know, if I put a fish on my car, I'd better be a good driver. (laughs) I know where you're going with this one. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I I see in my area they have, um, there's a huge church, and a lot of people have bumper stickers from the church saying, you know, follow me to my church. Yes. And if that person cut me off, I wouldn't want to follow them to that church. Mm, My. So there's a lot of personal responsibility, being self-aware, understanding what you're doing, and what you are actually communicating through your actions. That's really what's going to make the difference. Wow. It is not the government, the state. It is not the church, religion. 
that changes hearts out there. It is a person, an individual. It is a smile. It is a touch. It is a, a generous spirit. It is a voice. It is open ears. And that's where evangelism lays. And that's what Christ knew. And that's what Christ is telling us. Am I on the right track here? I think so. Yeah. When you look at what he was communicating through his ministry and how he talked to people and who he talked to and what he did, and you realize it was really an action-based faith. You know, whatever is in your head is, is fine, but, you know, you got to live it out. And that's what he did. Hmm. ReligiousLiberty.tv is the website, Michael Peabody. He is an employment law attorney from Los Angeles, California, where it happens to be sunny right now, not so much out here in West Virginia. Michael Peabody, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate your words of wisdom and motivation. I appreciate that. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Michael Peabody, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. Today.